0: Good morning, Grace Bible Church. It is great to see all of you again. I have the the great privilege to be preaching today as Rick and his family, along with many others, are out on our church's annual camping trip. And I trust that they're doing well as Russell Dixon brings the word to them this morning. Please turn with me, if you're not already there, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This morning. In God's holy word, we will be talking a lot about the Christian's identity. And so I've titled this message with a question. Do you know who you are? When I was 13, I was swimming for a year-round swim club called Poseidon Swimming. And I distinctly remember my coach's voice as he gathered me and my three other relay team members after we had just been crushed in an 800 meter relay. And we had finished last by over 20 seconds. But my coach wasn't mad that we had finished last. No, he was upset that we had given up. We had forgotten the point. He asked us, do you guys know who we are? We're Poseidon, we don't give up. Coach Mike was reminding us of our team identity. We swim hard, we swim fast, we don't quit. That's who we are. Sometimes we need to be asked that question. Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? We live in a society where everyone wants an identity. Social media demands that you identify with one side or the other and make that your identity. Everyone needs to be classified and defined according to their preferences and desires, and it creates this chaos. We can forget who we are This might seem like a problem for the world, but it's also a problem that plagues churches as well. And it's not just churches today, it's churches in Paul's day. The Corinthians had an identity problem. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to help us answer this question today. Do you know who you are? Our main point today is this, be defined by your God-given identity. Know that your true identity is defined by God. And we'll see this in the text of 1 Corinthians 1 through 9 by examining two prompts that help you know your true identity as a believer. Our first prompt is this. Be reminded of your God-defined identity. Turn with me now to verse 1 as we examine the first three verses. Paul We must see that Paul desires the Corinthians to be reminded that their identity is defined by God and his calling. Paul is going to do this starting out even in the very beginning of his letter, in the standard opening. And this is helpful for us too, because in a world with many different identities, we forget our own. We forget who we are in the stress and difficulty of the week. So let's begin at the beginning and dive into this letter to the Corinthians. And to do this, we're going to look at two components in these first three verses, the letter part and the reminder part. First, the letter. This letter, like all of Paul's letters, has the standard Roman Greek letter form of the day. Today, our standard greeting form in a letter is, Dear Steve, or Dear Marcy. Well, in the ancient Mediterranean world, the standard greeting form was this who the letter is from, who the letter is to, greetings. And that's what we have here. Paul, to the Corinthians, grace and peace to you. Paul, however, is going to add his personal flavor to this greeting. And this twist on the standard greeting is important. Paul is telling us in this greeting information that he wants us to know. He's already teaching. It's not accidental, it's masterful. Because in many ways, these first three verses, even down to verse 9, will serve as a subject line for the whole letter. Paul intentionally writes here in these nine verses about whole subjects that are going to come up later. Look now at verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Right off the bat, Paul is telling us about himself. He's telling the Corinthians who he is, and he's defining and identifying his authority. And he does that by saying what? By saying that he was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul's authority to write a letter to the Corinthians comes from his apostleship. And he's an apostle because of God's unavoidable calling on his life. If you know the story of Paul's life, you know that Paul saw the light, literally, Paul was specially commissioned by God to be an apostle and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And that compulsion is what makes Paul later say in 1 Corinthians 9.16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. God's call in our lives is like this too. If you are a believer, you have a divine calling. And we're going to get to more of that in a bit. But what does it mean to be an apostle? It means that Paul's authority comes not from a lofty position But through the witness of the resurrected Christ and a life that's been transformed by the cross. He's not saying, I'm an apostle, clap for me. He's saying, I'm an apostle, listen to me. And really, the Corinthians should listen to Paul. After all, Paul founded the church at Corinth. Apart from his time in Ephesus, Paul spent more time in Corinth than any other place. Eighteen months of teaching and establishing a church there. And they should be intimately familiar with him and his teaching and his calling. And yet, it's clear later in 1 Corinthians that they were challenging his authority and seeking out knowledge and titles and identities that were counter to everything that Paul had established them in. So Paul writes very clearly and lays out his authority so that they can see that it's not Paul the man speaking. It's Paul speaking under the calling of God's will. So remember that there's the standard structure to a Greek letter. Name of the author, Paul. Identification of the reader, the Corinthians. Then the greeting. Well, here, in the identification of the reader, Paul does something that he doesn't do in any of his other letters. He goes on and gives an extended description of who he's writing to. Nowhere else does Paul do this. And he does it here for a very specific purpose. He's saying, Look, guys, I'm Paul the Apostle. Let me tell you who you are. Let me remind you of who you are. I have a lot of things that I need to talk about in this letter, but it starts here first. It starts here with your identity. I really need you to see this because you guys have been messing this up. You've forgotten your actual identity. So let me remind you who you are as a church and as a believer. What does this look like for us today? can the same thing happen to us? Can we forget who we are? Christian, do you know who you are? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does your life look like? What is your identity? Are you a Christian? Often, the daily grind is truly that. It grinds away at our identity Sin creeps in. We entertain temptations. We start to desire what the world desires. We become apathetic. Maybe you weren't even that grounded in your faith to begin with, and so it's super easy to just float away. We need to be anchored in our true identity. You need to be anchored in your true identity. And so Paul actually uses the envelope on this letter, so to speak, to start teaching and correcting the, first, the, the Corinthians. And he starts by reminding them of their identity. And today, he's reminding us of our identity as well. So let's look at this reminder of who you are as a believer. There are four truths in this reminder that we see here in verse 2. Hear it again. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. The first truth of this reminder is right there at the beginning. To the church of God that is in Corinth. The church of God. Whose church? God's church. You see, the Corinthians were a status-hungry people. They craved names and titles. They were proud of themselves. They were proud of their knowledge and their spirituality. They considered themselves mature. So Paul starts out by saying, look, your church gathering is not about you and what you know. In fact, it's not even your church. It's God's church. It's God's possession. It's not Rick Zaman's church. It's not John MacArthur's church. It's not John Piper's church. It's God's church. It's his people. You're God's people. You're one body. You're one gathering. Your identity starts there. You're a people of God's possession. He's your God, and you're his people. This is the first part of our identity, identity that we must see. If you're a Christian listening to this right now, you need to know That the first part of your identity as a believer is that you belong to God. You're one of his people. You're in his family. You're part of his church. If you're a solo Lone Ranger Christian, or if you're not tied and committed to a local gathering of God's people, then you're gonna struggle to see this first part of your identity. God saved a people to himself. You didn't save a bunch of random individuals to not be connected to anything. If you're not locked in with a local church, you will eventually have a Christian identity crisis. Paul repeatedly in 1 Corinthians talks about the church body and how they're all one. They're all unified. And he even talks about the different ways that the local church identifies its own members. Here at Grace Bible Church, we have membership. Not so that we can be divisive but so that we can all know who is truly in this local church of God in Midlothian. If you're not a member, that doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, not at all. But it does mean that one of the key parts of Christian identity is missing in your life. There's not a category of Christian in the New Testament for someone who is not committed to a faithful local church of God. And the book of Acts is especially clear on this. Those who are saved and profess Christ become part of his church and the local gathering of his people. Membership in a church is purely a clear profession of faith and the submission to the teaching and discipline of that church. So if you belong to God and you're one of his people, then you need to be gathering and committed with the rest of his people, whether that's here at GBC or at another faithful gathering of God's people. God's people gathered together make up God's church. And Paul starts out his reminder and identification of the Corinthians by telling them who they are as a church. And what a blessing it is to be a part of God's family. What a blessing it is to gather with God's people. And how can this be? How can we be the people of a holy, perfect God? This is no small thing. How do we as sinners receive such a marvelous blessing in this relationship with God? This is where we see the second truth in this reminder of our identity. Look at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. The second truth is that we have been sanctified in Christ. You have been made holy in Christ. Your identity has been fundamentally changed. Because of Christ's work on the cross, our un- identity as an unholy, sinful being has been transformed to be holy before God. We can now enter and enjoy his presence. We can have a relationship. And this transformation is not because of something that we have done or even something we do now. It's because of Christ's accomplishment of salvation. Sanctified, as it's used here, is talking about a past event with present effects. And this sanctification holiness refers to the one-time event where Christ's blood washed away the sins of his people. 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews 10, 14 and 17. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 1 Corinthians 6:11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Christ's death on the cross wiped clean our slates. His death was for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. His blood cleans us. The one-time offering of the Lamb of God has perfected his people for all time. Christ's death cleans us, and Christ's resurrection declares us righteous before God. And God will remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. God, transcendent in majesty and purity, looks at us, soaked in the blood of his Son, and says, holy Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Holiness is received, not achieved. So, what is Paul's point in reminding the Corinthians and us that we have been sanctified in Christ? Well, Christians are defined by Christ's work. Are you? Does Christ's work define your identity? And the implications are enormous. Paul is reminding us that this is who we are as Christians. We've been set apart and made holy. The sad irony was that the Corinthian Christians, that they were indeed sanctified and washed in the blood of Christ, but their lives looked like everyone else's in Corinth. Do you live out your consecrated status for the whole world to see? Are you bold? Does your life look like? It has been transformed. What does your identity actually reflect? Paul writes to the Corinthians to say, look, be what you already are. It's a reminder that's almost a rebuke. Recalibrate your identity. The greatest price in all eternity has been paid to make you holy. You have been sanctified by Christ. Paul is quick to point out, however, that there are two sides to the sanctification coin. In one sense, there was a one-time transaction that fully sanctified you before God. Yet there's another sense where this sanctification is an ongoing process. Here's the third truth in this reminder of our identity as believers. Look again at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Called to be saints, or as the Nasby puts it, saints by calling. We are called to be holy. Be reminded of your calling. Believers are called to a lifestyle that reflects their already given status. This is talking about the ongoing process of sanctification. And the, the Greek word for saint and the Greek word for sanctification both come from the same root, and it has to do with holiness. Saints, refers to living Christians, not dead ones. Unfortunately for us, the Catholic Church has has twisted the understanding of that word. But the reality is, all Christians are called to be saints. All Christians are called to be holy. Why? Because Christ has transformed us. Our lives need to correspond to what has already been done. This is called ongoing sanctification. It's a process. It's step by step. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we, all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Sanctification is about being transformed into Christ-likeness. This is about pursuing holiness because we serve a holy God. Our calling to be holy is unavoidable. God's call is not something you take or leave. No, it's it's like the call for Paul to be be an apostle was unavoidable. Your call to be a saint, to be holy, that's unavoidable. To become what you already are is unavoidable. Think of it this way. When a person becomes an officer in the Marine Corps, they commission Meaning, they receive their rank before they officially assume their position. Yes, they're a Marine officer by rank and title, yet they haven't lived up to it yet. This is like the sanctification process. Christians have been commissioned, we've received the rank of holiness before God's presence in Christ. Yet, in a very real way, we are not actually fully sanctified in our life here on earth. We still sin. We still battle temptations. Ongoing sanctification, fighting sin, and growing in holiness is a defining mark of your Christian identity. Paul challenges the Corinthians because he knows that they are not living up to their calling. Is this your identity? Is this your calling? Do you own this? Does your life reflect your status in Christ? We grow in our sanctification through many means, but we must stay anchored in God's word and in prayerful reliance on his spirit to help us grow and fight sin. Without that, we are hopeless in our fight with sin. I think too often we try to grow in our sanctification by ourselves, yet God has given us a whole family to help us grow in our pursuit of Christ. Find a faithful brother or sister who will help you fight your sin and keep you faithful to the Word. That type of accountability is crucial. We need to be reminded of the call to be holy on a daily basis. Believer, your identity as a Christian needs to be marked by your calling to be a saint. The final truth in the reminder of our identity as Christians is that your identity and calling is bigger than just you. It's not all about you. This was Paul's message to the Corinthians. Verse 2 again. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. The Corinthians were self-absorbed and self-centered. They thought and acted as if they had a monopoly on Christ and the Spirit. They thought, in a sense, that the whole world revolved around them. And Paul's response to this is, snap out of it, guys. Your identity is the same with everyone else who calls Jesus Lord. You don't have some special status. In fact, that idea is antithetically opposed to your Christian identity. That's a valuable reminder for us we join in with every other true believer who calls Jesus Lord. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one can truly call Jesus Lord except in submission and humility that is found only in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Our identity is shared with each other and with God's people throughout all time and space. Our identity is not better because we sing modern worship songs and old hymns, Our identity is not better because we have expositional preaching. Our identity is not better because we have a specific, precise doctrine that's carefully considered. Our identity is not better because we're a Bible church. No, our identity is shared with all of God's people because we all call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for other churches because of this. We pray for them that they would hold fast to their identity in Christ, and we hope that they would pray the same for us. Hopefully, this is a reminder for you to be thankful for your gospel-believing brothers and sisters who go to different churches. But maybe this needs to be a reminder to not judge harshly those who God sees as his people because they call upon the name of the Lord. If God sees their identity in Christ, then so should you. So to summarize what Paul is saying here in this greeting, Paul is saying, look, Corinthians, look, Grace Bible Church, you need to be reminded of who you really are. You need to see your identity. You are God's church, not your own. You're made holy, not because of anything you've done, but because of Christ's work. Your calling is to be holy and live a life that reflects your status in Christ." Your Christian identity is not better or superior than anyone else's. The Jesus you call Lord is the same Jesus that all believers call Lord. This is what your true identity is as a Christian. GBC, this is your identity as a Christian. Know who you are. Paul moves on and concludes his opening with the standard Christian greeting in verse 3. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's notable there is that Paul is identifying with them. He's saying, Look, this is the same God, this is the same Father. I call him Father, you call him Father. He's our Father, he's our God. We're united in this. Paul's next direction in the letter is to give thanks to for the Corinthians in verses four nine, four through nine. And this is where we see the second prompt for the believer. Paul is doing the same thing here as he was doing on the envelope part of the letter. He's trying to communicate to the Corinthians something about their identity. It's another teaching moment. In one sense, he's reminded them of their identity, and now he's trying to show them that that identity is all they need. It's complete. They don't need to add anything to it. They shouldn't add anything to it. So this is our second prompt this morning from verses 4 through 9 be complete in your God-given identity. Paul is going to show the Corinthians that their God-given identity is the only thing that should define who they are. And that goes for us too. We should not be looking towards anything else to be defining or adding to our identity as believers. And the way that we will unfold this in verses four through nine is to first look at Paul's thankfulness And then we will see five marks of the complete Christian identity. Look now at the beginning of verse four, where we see Paul's thankfulness. I give thanks to my God always for you. Paul starts out by expressing thanks. And he does this, and as he does this, he shows the extent and completeness of the Corinthians' identity. Paul's thankfulness isn't sarcasm, he's truly thankful. But he doesn't direct his thankfulness to the Corinthians. He's thankful to God. And we see here three functions for this Thanksgiving at the beginning of the letter. It reminds the Corinthians what Paul has already taught them before. It communicates Paul's care and concern for a church that had serious problems. And we'll get to more of that in a second. And and the third thing that it does is it shows all the main themes that are going to be in this letter. This is the subject line this is everything that Paul's going to talk about. It's a sneak peek almost. But let's look at why Paul is thankful. And it's almost shocking that Paul would be thankful. The Corinthians were a church that had a lot of issues going on. It's helpful to know a little background on Corinth to really see these issues. Corinth was one of the most important port cities in the Mediterranean. It was Prosperous, and many different people from all over the Roman world were there. Corinthians were said to have a fiercely independent spirit. They craved status and titles and knowledge. Corinth was also infamously known for its vice and enticements. The Corinth of Paul's day was the Las Vegas of the ancient world, so to speak. In the Corinthian church, though its people matched the diversity of the city, there were Jews, Greeks, slave-free, rich-poor, The problem was that their lives were also matching the identity of the city. There were many different divisions and factions in their body. The church was plagued by sins and carnality that even outsiders in the city condemned. And Paul's letter served to address these many divisions and immoralities that were taking place. And yet Paul starts out his letter by thanking God for the Corinthians. Why? Paul is thankful for their true identity. Paul looked under all the layers and identities and titles and and sins that were stacked on top of the Corinthians, and he looked under all of that, and he stripped it away, and he saw their true identity in Christ. Paul was thankful because of what God has done, and he was trying to show the Corinthians this as well. In verses 4 through 9, Paul is saying, hey, I'm thankful for what God has done for you. I'm not cool with any of these other identities you guys have. But I am super thankful for the underlying, most important identity that you have. I'm thankful for your identity in Christ. That's all you need. You don't need any other identity. Your identity in Christ is complete. So what Paul is going to do in this Thanksgiving is contrast much of what the Corinthians would claim for themselves by showing what God has done for them through Christ. Grace has been given to them by God. They had been made rich by God. The true testimony of the gospel in them had been confirmed by God. They had been called into fellowship with Christ by God. And Paul is thankful to God for all of that. How about you? Are you thankful to God for the believers in your life? If Paul was thankful for the Corinthians, despite all the sins and divisions present in their lives, then surely we can do the same when you see a brother or sister in Christ and you can't believe that they posted that thing or that they voted that way or that they follow that person or that they reacted that way, even if those things might be unwise, are you thankful for them? Are you thankful for their identity in Christ? Do you love them as Christ loves them? Are you willing to forgive them the way Christ has forgiven them? Even when your brother or sister seems to forget their identity, be thankful that God doesn't. So out of love and humility and thankfulness, remind one another of who we are in Christ. Be thankful the way Paul is thankful. Be thankful for God's work in others. Be thankful that if they're a believer, they have been sanctified by Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying them even now. The more godly we are, the more thankful we will be. Look back at verse 4, where we see that Paul is continually thankful because of the grace of God which was given in Christ Jesus. Paul isn't thankful for anything the Corinthians have done or earned. He's not thankful, he's not even mentioning thankfulness for their faith or love or unity because those things were lacking in the church. But Paul is thankful for God's grace. He's thankful for God's gift in the gospel and how that is manifested in the lives of the Corinthians. This is the first mark of the Christian's complete identity God's grace. Grace, by its very nature, is is free, it's a free gift, it's not earned. That's the wonderful, amazing, marvelous mystery of the gospel. That God would choose to save sinners whose very identities were hostile and opposed to him. As sinners, our identity was as a child of wrath. Our identity was that of a dead person. We were dead in our sins. Maybe that's you right now. Right now, are you dead in your sins? Is your identity hostile towards God? Do you love your sin and hate God? All of humanity faces this problem, where there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fail to meet God's holiness. God is a holy, just God, and by no means will he clear the guilty. He can't just ignore sin. He will be just and pour out his holy wrath on all ungodliness. But God, being rich in mercy, being a God full of grace and love, has made a way for sinners to be right with him, to have a relationship with him that's of love and not of wrath. And God has done this in Christ Jesus. God sent his only son to die a death he did not deserve and to take upon himself the wrath of God so that there could be a payment for the penalty of sin. And why? Why would he do this? God, for our sake, made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so there could be a payment for the penalty of sin. You don't deserve that. You can't earn that. You are a sinner, and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation comes through the grace of God. Christian, you have been declared righteous by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. How do you receive this marvelous gift? If you can earn it, it wouldn't be a gift. And it's impossible to earn. You can't work your way to heaven. Your sin is an eternal barrier between you and God. And the only way to receive this gift is through faith. Repent of your sin and believe in your heart and you will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. If you have not done that yet, your identity is of the world. Your identity is bound for eternal judgment. Repent. Believe this gospel. Believe this good news. Find your new identity in Christ Jesus. This gift is freely offered. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not right with God, get right with him now. Paul anchors us here to this identity. This is why Paul is thankful. Because of God's grace. Because of the gift of salvation. As a Christian, God's grace defines us. Your identity is a gospel-changed life. There's nothing else you can add. Yet too often, we, like the Corinthians, have a destructive desire to find and add other identities. Look further down at verse 12 in chapter 1. Paul is is talking to the Corinthians about these other identities that they were adding to their gospel identity. Verse 12. Each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul. They were saying, I'm a Paul-following Christian. I'm an Apollos-following Christian. Is that the gospel identity that they were supposed to display? No. They were adding other things to their identity that were actually taking away from their true identity in Christ. Do we do this? Yes, all the time. We find our identity in our work or in our schooling or in the types of things that our kids do. We take good things and prioritize them wrongly and make them our identity. You're not a mother first and then a Christian. You're not a dad first and then a Christian. Your identity doesn't come from your relationship or your marriage. You're not a Republican Christian or a health food Christian or a homeschooling Christian. We do this too with our theology. We seek our identity there. We find our identity in our church before we even find it in Christ. We find our identity in our giftedness and our calling. Brothers and sisters, we must find our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. When our identity gets hazy, we need to come to Scripture and come to this passage and remind yourself of who you are. Your identity is complete. Anything you add to it takes away from Christ's work on the cross for you. You're complete in Christ. You don't need to be married or have kids or make a certain amount of money to be complete in your identity in Christ. You just need to be wholly resting on the grace of God. We've seen Paul's thankfulness for God's grace, we've examined the completeness of God's grace. And in verses five through nine, we see how God's grace gives us a complete identity. The second mark that we see here in verse 5 that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. As believers, we are fully enriched. We have been made wealthy. We have a newfound inheritance of incalculable value. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Through Christ, in every way we have been made rich. Not materially rich. This isn't name it, claim it rich. This is spiritually rich. Paul specifically draws attention to speech and knowledge. These are things that the Corinthians were specifically interested in. And Paul is saying that in Christ, they have spiritual speech and knowledge that you can't find in the world. You don't need the world's speech and knowledge. You have God's speech and knowledge supplied by the Holy Spirit. A transformed believer has words provided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and God's Word gives us a knowledge that is complete and tells us everything we need to know to live the Christian walk. So don't seek out others to add, other things to add to your identity. Be content with what God has given you. The third mark is that God's grace in the gospel is confirmed in our lives. Verse 5 again In every way you are enriched in Him, and all speech and knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. The speech and knowledge given to us confirms our identity in Christ. The gospel, our testimony, is confirmed by the speech and knowledge given to us at conversion. Your desires have changed. Your speech has changed. Once you confessed something else as king, and now you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. This speech and knowledge Speech and knowledge are the mark of a converted person, and it's witnessed by everyone around you. The fourth mark, verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that you are not lacking any gift. Believer, your identity as a Christian is complete. You're not missing anything. If you're a believer, then God has given you every spiritual gift that you need. You're complete in your identity and calling. And why would Paul feel the need to make this point? Well, the Corinthians had a fascination for the spiritual gifts, both for the ones that have ceased and for the ones that last until today. But in many ways, the way they were practicing their gifts was not at all the way that God had intended. This reminder is good for us today as well, especially if you feel dissatisfied in your calling or spiritual gifting. You might be tempted to say, if only I had this gift, then I'd be complete. If only I was like that, what that brother had and I had that, then I'd be happy. Well, brother and sister, you are entirely complete. When you were transformed by the blood of Christ, You were given every gift God wanted you to have. So be content with God's sovereignty over your gifting. In verse 7 and 8, we see the fifth mark of the complete Christian identity, an eagerness for Christ's return. In every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the day, to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's people are looking forward to the day of his return. We are waiting for Christ to come back as king. If you're a believer, you know you're standing with God. God's people will be blameless on that day of judgment not because of their own merit, but because of Christ's righteousness. Are you ready for that day? Are you living as if Christ's return is imminent? Are you ready? As believers, we know that we will be confirmed on the final day when King Jesus finally and fully completes his plan for judgment and salvation. But if you're not saved... And if you're standing guilty in your sins, you have no such hope. You will be found guilty. Believer, are you living in eagerness for an eternity with Christ? Or are you too preoccupied with the busyness of life? Paul tells us here that a necessary part of our Christian identity is an eagerness for Christ's return. So, A Christian is someone who's been given God's grace, who has been enriched with spiritual treasures, who eagerly awaits the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, who will stand shameless on that day. And how does Paul end this wonderful passage? He goes to God's faithfulness. How do we know that we will be confirmed on that day? How do we know that we will be blameless? How do we know that we will have salvation and an eternity with God? Well, it's because of God. God is faithful, God guarantees his promises. Our surety comes not from our own identity, but from the God who defines us. God is faithful. God's faithfulness has brought us into his family. We have joyful fellowship with the Son. As fellow heirs to the kingdom, we will live with God for all eternity. Christian, if you're listening this morning, know your identity. Paul had to remind the Corinthians of theirs. Paul did so because he loved them and wanted them to solely rest in God's grace and faithfulness. They were forgetting their true identity. Christian, don't forget your true identity. Be reminded of how you are defined in God. See God's faithfulness to hold you fast and keep you until the end. Praise God that our salvation and identity is not secured by us. It is God who has called us into fellowship with his son. It is God who saves. And it is God who gives us our new name, child of God. And one day, one glorious, unimaginable day, we will truly understand what it means to be defined by our relationship with God. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One day, we will never struggle to know our identity ever again. Our true identity as Christians is eternal and complete in God. We will forever be his people. Let's pray. God, we praise you for being a mighty, awesome God. We thank you for your great grace that we see in the cross. We thank you for the relationship that we have with you through your son. Thank you for being a faithful God. Thank you for being a God who saves Lord, help us remember who we are in you. Help us not forget our identity. In your name I pray, amen.